If I drop my voice at any point, please raise your hand and I'll raise the voice up again. They tell me I drop my voice sometimes. I thought I'd got a loud voice, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Right. Just make myself organised. I'm going to tell you a story. We all like stories, don't we? I hope you like this one. Stories about two farmers and their father. Now, the father had been running the farm for a very long time and his two sons had been helping him to run it. But then the father died and in his will he divided the farm equally between the two sons. They were very happy with that arrangement, that seemed very fair. And so they continued to work together and they decided they would cooperate together. Um, they would share machinery together so that they would keep their costs down and so that went on for quite a few years, happily working together throughout the year, year on year. And then one day, over a comparatively trivial incident, they had a blazing row. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Yeah, you know, yes, it does, doesn't it? Over a comparatively trivial incident, they had the most tremendous argument we'd finished up with we mutually... We don't want to speak to each other again. We don't want to see each other again. We will go our separate ways. We will no longer cooperate. We will no longer share. And they both stormed off to their own respective farms. One of the brothers who uh, lived... The farmhouses were about a mile or so apart, really. And so he, he went back to his farm, and within a matter of weeks, he got a huge digger in. And he dug a trench between on the border of the farms, deep and wide. He then um, redirected the local river into that trench. So now there was a water obstacle. And, and there was no way you could get from one farm to the other. There was no communication to them, between the two of them. And so that continued from year to year. One of the farmers was thinking to himself... What I really need is to build on my side of this trench a great fence because I'm sick to death of seeing my brother in his fields. I don't even want to see his house. He thought, now how am I going to organise that? About a day or two later, there was a knock on the door. There stood a man carrying his tools on his shoulders and he said, I'm a carpenter, have you got any work for me? I've got just the job, he said. Do you know how to build fences? Yes, he said, I know how to build fences. Fine, he said. Now, I want the... Took him down to the, where the river was. He said, now, at this point, I want you to build the biggest fence you can so that I cannot, from my house, see my brother's house. Are you able to do something like that? He said, yes, I am able to do something like that. Now, the farmer said, I'm going away for a, a week or two. Um, would it be ready when I get back? The guy said, yes, it will. Promise you. It will be... Uh, I will have completed the work. So off the farmer went, took a holiday, and uh, when he came back he thought, right, the first thing I want to see, how is the fence getting on? So off he went down through the fields and he came to where the fence should be. There was no fence. There was the carpenter, but there was no fence. In its place was a bridge, the most beautiful wooden bridge you've ever seen. And it stretched from his side to the brother's side. He wasn't very pleased said to the carpenter, I said to you, uh, you know, I, I wanted a fence. 
not a bridge. Sorry, said the, uh, uh, the carpenter. I only build bridges. <laughs> At that moment, he spots his brother running down the field opposite. He, he's not sure what to do for a moment. And then as the brother reaches the bridge, he too starts to run. And he runs and meets his brother in the middle of the bridge. And suddenly, their arms round each other. They're both crying. They're both weeping. They're both saying they're sorry simultaneously. They're just saying, however did we get into this awful mess? We are just so sorry. They wanted to thank the carpenter. They turn around. The carpenter's nearly a field away. They shout to him, come back. They say, come back. We've got loads of work for a carpenter. Sorry, shouts back. I only build bridges. We've heard about bridges this morning, haven't we? I was thinking when the, the table was set before us, it is a bridge. It's a symbol of a bridge, right? It's the symbol of that bridge, which is the symbol of the bread and the wine. We haven't got woodwork. We've got, as it were, those tangible elements which we can take in our hands and which become the reminder to us, the symbol to us, of the bridge that God built between man and himself. If you like, Adam and Eve in the garden broke the original bridge. That communication that they had with God, that we read about prior to their falling into sin in the Garden of Eden. And then there was a great gap and a great chasm. And from that day onwards, when that great chasm occurred, God began the construction of a bridge that would stretch across that enormous gap. It took him something like several hundred, no, several thousand years in Turth's time. But at Calvary, the bridge was put into place, complete, for all time and all eternity. You see, the Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now, I can't see the clock at the back, so I should take my watch off, which is, of course, a totally meaningless action. But um, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You all know the first verse, verse 16. We often don't read verse 17, but verse 17 establishes, if you like, the bridge. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son into the world to reconcile the world to himself. We've heard quite a bit about that this morning, haven't we? Already. You see, Jesus is a reconciler. His whole ministry was one of reconciliation and God had planned that ministry as we've heard this morning throughout all eternity that we might have the opportunity one day to go to heaven as his child his children when Jesus arrived on the earth one of the most important things he said was blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God now if you're in Christ you are a child of God aren't you we are the children of God. 
And we declare that we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? And therefore we should follow him in his ministry of reconciliation. We do that by the preaching of the gospel for the sake of those that don't know him. When you preach the gospel, Albert's just been preaching the gospel and teaching uh, in Belgium, haven't you? Uh, and, and the essence of that ministry would have been to bring people to Christ and then to instruct them in Christ to know who they are as the children of God. And part of that ministry is not only that we are reconciled to God, but then we should be reconciled to each other, shouldn't we? Now, I am not aware that there's any particular rift in our congregation this morning between one person and another, or indeed between anybody here and somebody outside. But what we're going to be talking about this morning is laying a foundation of how God expects us to be reconciled or to assist others in the ministry or, or helping those who have come to some form of disagreement in the church or beyond the church, really. Because we're called to be peacemakers. Bring the shalom of God into other people's lives that we ourselves have drunk deeply of. We were singing that just now in that lovely old hymn that we were singing just a moment ago. And so I want to take you to the book of Philemon. Now that's um, easy to find. It's just before Hebrews. If you're using a paper Bible... Uh, electronically you'll find it easier I guess but if you'd like to find it although it's going to be on the screen anyway and it already is and so I want to read that first part to you uh, as um, an introduction to what I want to share with you this morning this is the letter written by Paul when he's in prison in Rome as you see from the opening verse Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, that's the Timothy of the New Testament, who, to whom he's writing at other times. Timothy was, if you like, one of what he would have called his son in the Lord, somebody who he'd been instrumental in bringing to Christ and then nurturing him and mentoring him into ministry. So Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. There's a real relationship here, isn't there? Also to Aphia, our sister, who possibly was the wife of uh, Philemon, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that you're in partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of God's people. I tell you, it seems that Philemon was the leading elder of that church, and I reckon that's a church I would have enjoyed being in. He sounds like a great pastor, doesn't he? I'm sure he was a great preacher. I'm sure he loved and cared, and when there was a need, he was ready to move in reconciliation. I've told you already, Philemon is the leading elder, it seems, of the church. And uh, Colossae was a city which actually no longer exists, apparently, but it was somewhere in western Turkey. 
Once a Roman city, the Romans withdrew their support. The city fell into hard times. They diverted a major road uh, to shorten a distance, and the, the town just got marginalised and died, and it's a, a heap of stones today. But Philemon, it, in his time, it was an important city. Later on, we shall encounter Onesimus. He was a slave, it seems, in, uh, in that household. We have to remember that in those days, slavery was a common everyday thing. It was part of everyday life. And uh, I, I would say it was kind of acceptable in that sense, but we would not, we'd find it totally unacceptable today, of course. So we, have to just, we mustn't judge them because that was the age they lived in. But Onesimus was a slave. And for some reason, he escapes from Philemon's household where he's been working. Um, and apparently, there's a hint here that he might have stolen money and then he headed off to Rome because Rome was such a vast city, that's where you could hide yourself and never be found again. A bit like heading for London or some other great city of the world and lose yourself. That seems to be the scenario. Paul, of course, is the apostle, um, and he's writing this, as I said at the outset, from his prison in Rome, where he refers to himself as being in chains. You can read about that in Acts, you can read about in the latter chapters of Acts, how he got there and all the rest of it. But it was, in fact, where he'd always intended to go. He'd always had it in his heart to go to Rome. He finds himself in Rome, not by the route he hoped to go by, but as a prisoner of Rome, and there he is in chains. But he still has the liberty to write letters and freedom. He was, in fact, a Roman, city, a Roman citizen, and that may well have given him uh, those privileges that he seems to have enjoyed. And the intention of this letter is to effect a reconciliation uh, because Onesimus, it seems, has become a Christian. One is in Rome, and it seems that in some way he's been led to Paul, or Paul was actually instrumental in his conversion. So there's a strong link now between Paul and Onesimus. You know, those that we have perhaps personally brought to Christ in one way or another, or been instrumental in playing a part in it, are very dear to us, aren't they? And we, there should be within every Christian that desire to nurture and to encourage them in the faith. And that's what Paul has been doing in Rome. And Onesimus, if you like, has turned, his name actually means um, useful. But Paul later on here says, well, to you he was useless. That's when he left. And he says, but actually, no, he's become more than useful to you, Philemon. We'll come to that in a minute. So that's the kind of scenario that we're in. And the purpose is to effect reconciliation. And, and I think this morning I want to just make some points about how we might do that when there has been disagreement. Now, these are general principles. In our ordinary every home life, there are from time to time disagreements, aren't there? Um, I don't think my, my, my married life of 50 years was without the odd argument here and there. And Sue would have said amen if she was here. Um, and uh, it is the nature. Sometimes we rub up to each other up the wrong way. I think I've said here before, Sue and I had one big uh, rule when we had perhaps had a, um, a, a strong discussion, shall we say, and... Uh, and that was that we never let the sun go down before we put it right. Paul tells us that in Ephesians. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And, you know, because the next day it's much harder to be reconciled. Keep short accounts with God, we often say. Well, let's keep short accounts with one another. And let us be swift 
uh, to say sorry, even when you think you were in the right. <laughs> because often it takes two to tanker, doesn't it, in any sort of argument. But here there is a, the first thing that Paul does, because he can't actually travel with uh, Onesimus back to Colossae. He's got to write a letter. And it seems he might have written the letter and maybe Onesimus was sent off with it in his hand. But he writes, and there we find help in uh, understanding um, a way ahead. So from these first verses that we've just already read, verses 1 to 7, we see that it's very much a personal letter, isn't it? A personal letter. There's lots of personal references in it. You know, he names the people. Um, people that we know nothing else about. We don't know anything else about Afia, our sister. As I said, she might have been the wife of Philemon, she might not, but clearly she was somebody of significance in the church. Archippus, our fellow soldier. Um, we know nothing much about him, I don't think, but as far as I know, but uh, they were part of the church that met in his home. And uh, so there's nothing new, new in life groups, is there? They were the original format for the church. I know in the New Testament they gathered in the temple courtyard and, and worshipped God, but then there were 3,000 of them, but they also did meet from home to home, didn't they? I recently realised just how big the temple courtyard was, as an aside. It was huge. The size of sev the call to the Gentiles, I think it was the size of several football pitches. It was huge. So you could have got 3,000 people in with no trouble at all. But that's an aside. Here Paul decides he will write a very personal letter. And he recalls in this letter, doesn't he? He thanks God for these people. He's laying a basis of appeal for a reconciliation. He's interceding on behalf of Onesimus um, with, um, with Philemon. It's a little bit like the Lord Jesus is in heaven today, the Bible tells us, interceding on our behalf with his father. Yeah? Jesus, on the basis of the relationship that we have with him, pleads our case before God the Father as, as appropriate. We don't know what he prays, we don't know how he prays, but there are certain moments when I'm glad he's praying for me, and I guess you are too. Especially on those days when you haven't prayed at all, then always remember... There's one who's always praying for you. When you're too tired to pray. When you forget to pray. When you're too busy to pray. Yeah? Be real about these things. There's one in heaven who is always, constantly interceding for you and I. And Paul here is taking almost a priestly role in this situation. And he's interceding. Uh, and just as when we read this book again, perhaps remember, the whole basis of the gospel is reconciliation. And back to what I said earlier, therefore, we too must be reconcilers, or at least attempt to be. Now, I've wandered from my notes, you see, and no, I, I can't. I'm going to take these off. I, I'm using old spectacles this morning. I didn't break the old ones, they're, they're with the optician and uh, I'm going to get a new lens and then I'll be able to see, I hope. Right, where am I? Yeah, if there's a big argument sometimes it, um, and 
we argue over something very strong. I mean, a classic thing would be two men arguing, or same men, two men arguing over some point of theology. And, uh, you know, sometimes people get quite heated when they get into those sort of discussions. And uh, I came across this quote one day that somebody said, well, when you find yourself in that, it's all getting a bit too hot and heavy, one of you should stop and say, hang on, let us consider, brother, we might both be mistaken. Yeah? Good principle in an argument. We might both be mistaken. Furthermore, it's as well to call off before responding to any grievance or disagreement. See, to respond in anger... Uh, is the complete opposite of the principles that Jesus laid down. I've shared before with you on forgiveness, and I think it's one of those great themes uh, that is appropriate. It links well into grace, doesn't it, that we've been looking at for quite a long time. And uh, you remember that when Peter came to Jesus and said, how many times must I forgive my brother? And, uh, and he's, you know, seven times, which was the rabbinic uh, permission, and then after that you could do what you like. But... Um, 70 times 7 is 490, and that's once every three minutes in a 24-hour period. In other words, develop an attitude of forgiveness. And when you've got that, you've got a good foundation for establishing reconciliation. There are two parts, is what I like to forget. There is forgiveness, which is one thing. Reconciliation is the next step. Forgiveness is something we have to offer to those that have offended us but we may not always be able to establish reconciliation. Or in other situations where someone's been badly let down, trust has been betrayed, then also that may be very difficult to establish a reconciliation at a later day, but not impossible under God. So we need to develop in our Christian lives, uh, following the example of Jesus, to have attitudes of forgiveness and reconciliation. So Paul can't visit, but he, he pleads through this letter. And as you read on in the letter, you see that it's a very prayerful letter. He he must have thought much and often and on his knees in prayer, how can I best reconcile these two men to one another? Bearing in mind that one was the master and the other was once the slave. How can I reconcile them? It's a prayerful letter. Prepared on his knees. It's always a good thing to pray before you attempt sometimes a reconciliation. Maybe we first need to say sorry to God before we say sorry to one another. It paves the way. doesn't pay off to go in with all guns firing. Paul could have done, could have wielded, as it were, uh, the, the, the rod of authority as an apostle, could have commanded, he says this now, I could have commanded him, he says, you, uh, to him, but I choose not to do it that way it's a diplomatic matter he dresses Philemon as his dear friend and his fellow worker and I'm sure that was genuine you hurt when your friend has fallen out with somebody else don't you you know he refers to Aphia as our sister that's a relationship thing he's talking about Archippus our fellow soldier somebody presumably who'd worked hard in the work of the gospel see Paul is not going to pull rank He recognizes the value of friendship and he doesn't want to lose the friendship of Philemon. He doesn't want to lose, in any sense, anybody through a disagreement. So he assures them of his prayers and he gives thanks for their faith, 
their love for God's people. He says they've given him great joy in the past and great encouragement. So should we, in all matters as Christians, we should love and value and pray for one another. I'm sure you have those on your prayer list that you daily remember before God. And I do. I have people that I pray for. Some I pray for all the time. Sometimes I pray for others just when there's a sign of need or problem or difficulty. I'm grateful for those who pray for me on a consistent and regular basis. If you're one of them, thank you very much. You should recognise the different giftings that we have. Uh, and, uh, and by the grace of God, um, recognise those. If I've fallen out uh, with somebody... It, uh, Andy, I'm going to use you as an example. I've never fallen out with you. <laughs> have I? <laughs> well, you should have come and told me. <laughs> but if I did, I'd be deeply hurt if we fell out, obviously. And, but I know the nature of the man that's sitting there. And I know that um, I would be very sad if there was a disagreement. But I know that as a fellow Christian, I, I think it would not take us long to build a bridge and uh, put things right. And that's how it should be between all of us. Let's not let little things get in, destroy relationships between one another. Because even little things are like a stone in your shoe, aren't they? And you can't ignore that for very long. And if there's something, let, let's put it right. Let's not let it, like a little seed, start to grow. In Hebrews, uh, the writer says, Beware that no root of, bit, root of bitterness spring up among you, lest it defile many. And in some sort of arguments, people start taking sides, don't they? The quickest way to rip a church apart is something like that. Thank God I don't believe that's among us. But we need all of us to take responsibility for how we speak to one another, how we behave towards one another, and how we put it right. Jesus actually taught that, first of all, when, when you want to put something right, you first go and talk to the person themselves. Don't go around telling everybody else, you know, we fell out and I went around the church whispering that Andy was, you know, other than you think he is. That would be a terrible lie. And, and, and it would also spread. And it would unsettle, wouldn't it? And, and, and then if you all started taking sides, that would be terrible. God forbid anything like ever happens among us as a church. I think we have a happy family here. Long may it continue. So. What about the Christian who stumbles? What about when somebody gets it wrong? What about when somebody gets it badly wrong? What's our attitude then? Well, our first attitude should certainly not be judgmental. Remember then Jesus said, he who throws the first stone... They all walked away, didn't we? Stuart preached brilliantly on that recently, under grace. Now, when somebody gets it wrong, sometimes we forget all the things they did right. That's easy, isn't it? Happens in the world. Somebody gets built up, you know. The media are good at it. They build somebody right up until they've gone into a pinnacle, and then they find some rubbish and dirt, and they undermine them and bring them down again. That's the way the world works. We don't want to work like that, do we? We should be full of grace and mercy, as our Saviour is. Swift to forget sometimes what people have done for God. God doesn't forget. He will restore 
he will reconcile. He will continue to bless ministries that have fallen into difficulty on the basis of true repentance and so on. The love that set out to save us in and through Jesus is the same love that God sets out to restore in us. Remember, I only build bridges. So, it's a peacemaking letter. What time did I start preaching, somebody? I'm serious question now. Sorry? About 5-2. Right, I'm going to speed up now then. Reading at verse 8. Reading at verse 8. I'll come back next week and do it. I can't. I'm somewhere else next week. Um, I invite you, you know, just read this later on. Let me go into what it says and I'll just refer to it. Next, this is a peacemaking lesson. We've seen that. So we come to Onesimus and um, I thought this. So now we come to all of us, actually. Because Onesimus lined up with the rest, rest of us when all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there we all stand, don't we? That's where we all stand. No, no exceptions. He's one of all of us. And who among us could say we never got it wrong? We're all in need of restoration and reconciliation. With God and sometimes with each other. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. That's the example. Paul's purpose is to make peace, a reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus. He's clearly led by the Holy Spirit. And then he says to him, I appeal to you on the basis of love. Philemon means one who loves. Onesimus, I said just now, uh, who was once a trusted servant, um, his name meant useful. There's a play on words here. Formerly he was useless, verse 11, to you, but now he has become useful to both you and me as a result of his encounter with Christ. If it was a failure over money, Paul points out that the love of money is the root of all evil. Beware of the love of money. Nothing wrong with money, but beware of the love of it. And here, Paul not only prays, but he also offers to pay. He says here, look, um, verse 19, I'm writing this with my own hand. I will pay back. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your own self. Obviously, you find him to become a Christian under his ministry. He says, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ confident in your obedience I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask see Philemon may have been deeply hurt now he's called to deeply forgive he may well have been aware of Paul's letter to the Ephesians where Paul says in chapter 4 and verse 32 be kind and compassionate to one another forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you look if God forgave you and me who are we to hold out on forgiveness to one another principle has not changed if there's someone to forgive well do it however hard it may be however long it may take do it finally Paul is looking for a positive response I think I've just read it in verse 21, confident of your obedience, confident that you will respond well. He really knows the man he's writing to. It's a key verse, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing you will do even more than I ask. What an amazing thing. Philemon was a good man, but he had been deeply hurt 
he had been deeply disappointed. He needed a little help on the issue, and Paul offers it to him, encourages him, points him in the right direction, and uh, kind of as he could possibly have been, he would have stood alongside him in this situation. There are times when the best of men and women need a little help, especially when they've been hurt, taken advantage of, abused, taken for granted. If you're one of them, in any sense, this message from uh, from Philemon this morning is in that verse, in verse 3 in the greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you or I are in any sense an Onesimus this morning, the word of the Lord is exactly the same, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as is most likely, we are all a combination of both those men. Then let us equally hear the word of the Lord, grace to us and peace for God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we receive God's grace and peace and embark on it for ourselves, we shall find ourselves in a better place. So, write a personal letter. Don't just send a text or an email. Write a per- good old-fashioned pen and ink, if you like, or on a, just a personal letter that comes in the post and kind of perhaps says, look, we got it wrong, let's sort it out. A personal letter. And if you do such a letter, prepare it on your knees. There was an event recently that made me very cross. And uh, I had the opportunity to make a response, and I, I wrote my response, and then I tore it up, which was a good thing to do. It was a good thing to do. And then I wrote something that was more prayerful and more appropriate. Be a pacemaker. That's what God wants. Desire a positive response when you engage in that sort of situation. The same Holy Spirit who inspired Paul, helped Philemon, restored Onesimus, is still at work today, isn't he? Still among us. We're a Pentecostal people. We believe in the work of the Holy Spirit in every area of life. In in conviction of sin, in salvation, in the ongoing Christian life. He is the power, the source of our, our, our whole being. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit is one of the essential um, enablers of the Christian life. You're a Christian already, of course. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the energies that facilitate Paul, enabled Paul, to do the work he did and to encourage in the way that he's doing here. And when we need help, ask the Holy Spirit for it, and he will always give it. So do you need to build a bridge today? If you need to build a bridge today, there's one who says, I only build bridges. His name is Jesus. First class carpenter, par excellence. If you want to build a bridge and you don't know how to do it, get on your knees. Say, Lord, I need to put this right. I need to reconcile. Then show me how to do it. And he will. And if you need some advice from another Christian, someone you really trust, someone who's mature, then talk to them as well and let them help you and hold your hand as you do so. So today we've been encouraged to follow in his footsteps. In salvation, that invitation that we heard about earlier, an invitation that I was so pleased you read, who read John 3, not John, Revelation 3.20, 
which read, wasn't it, part of the thing this morning. You've, most of you know, that's the verse I got saved on. My heart rejoices whenever I hear it. He knocked on the door. I heard the knock. I opened the door. Fear of the consequences of sin evaporated. The Saviour came in. My life was changed from that day to this. Oh, sometimes I invite him back in again because I feel that in one way or another I've pushed him out perhaps in some way. Yeah? Is that you? Do you know, you can't push him out. He said, he'd never leave us and he'd never forsake us. But for my sake, I say, come back in again. Go right round the house. Clean it up for me. Help me to clean it up. Help me to be the person you want me to be. Back comes the answer. I only build bridges. Let's get going. Let's start. Let's take a moment to pause and pray, shall we? Just to pause and pray. We've already had moments when people can um, uh, seek prayer. You can seek prayer again afterwards. I'm sure the prayer team will be at the front here. Is there somebody you particularly need to be reconciled to? Is there a situation you need help with reconciling? You know, God invites you today. Take the initiative. You take it. And if the person you've fallen out is actually sitting in the congregation, well then if they take it, that bridge will meet in the middle, won't it? Let's build bridges. Let's not dig trenches. And if you need to be reconciled to God today, if you've never really given your heart to Jesus, I have to tell you, if you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus, that barrier, that gap, is still there but beloved there's a bridge across and he's standing the one side and he says come to me please come to me here I am I invite you to walk the bridge of faith and come to me many years ago there was a Chinese girl in the church young woman and she came to Christ but she recounted to me how for her it was such a vivid experience of coming to Christ that she felt, she said, like she was standing in the middle of a bridge, the bridge of salvation. She had set out to cross it. And Jesus was holding on this side, but the enemy of souls was holding the other. There was a tug of war going on. Some of us know that in our experience sometimes, that tug of war that goes on inside, especially when we feel the yearning to follow Christ and the voice says to us, all kinds of negative things but ignore the negative voice let the saviour draw you to himself this morning I pray give your heart to Jesus today because you see God was in Christ that's why he came into the world God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and our opportunity is today to respond to him let's just take a moment to be quiet let's just pray and if you want to put something right today, let's shut our eyes, shall we? We don't want people looking around and seeing who's who and what's what. Let's just bow our heads. And if it might help just to raise your hand. If you've got something you want to put right, raise your hand. If you want to come to Christ today, raise your hand. Yeah. If you're coming to Christ for the first time, come and talk to one of us later. Let us explain how to cross the bridge yeah and like I said if you need help with some form of reconciliation with someone come and talk to us again
and we'll, put, we'll seek to help put it right. You know, see, God is for us. Let's say that this morning. God is for us, not against us. Those of you who raised your hands, God bless you. May he help you. Holy Spirit, help them, I pray. Help me in my own life to be a reconciler. Help us all to be reconcilers. Help us all to be reconciled to you in and through Christ and his redeeming work. Make us a church of reconcilers. A place of peace where the shalom of God rests upon us. Amen.